Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, today's reading is from John 9, 1 through 11. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed, and then I could see. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Morning, everyone. Happy Mother's Day. You guys doing all right? Okay. You're here? I feel that. I feel that. I'm a little tired this morning. Uh, How many of you all... Oh, goodness, you all. What is happening? Oh, oh. I know. I went a little too north. How many of y'all? There we go. I got my Texas back. How many of y'all check the weather forecast every day? Okay, okay. So when Brooke and I lived in Texas, that's where the y'all thing came out. Weather was incredibly unpredictable. Like, you would wake up and you would have weeks where you would have days that are sunny, 75, then you would dip down into the 40s, and that's winter for Texas, like 40s, winter for Texas, like full-on coats, parkas, boots, everyone's crying because it's so cold. Then you would have a hailstorm and a thunderstorm, and then you'd have like a scorcher of 97 degrees, and this is all in the same week. This is all in the same week in Texas. And right here and now, this is a season of the pollening. Uh, that we're currently in, um, because I am like so congested from all. So you're like, why does he sound like the whale from uh, Finding Nemo, like trying to, to talk? It's because of the pollen this morning. So you guys will just have to forgive me. Uh, you know, when we were in Texas, weather was unpredictable. But since we've come to the North Country, it's a bit more predictable. We kind of know what to expect. We know that we're going to get about three weeks of summer, going to be nice outside for about three weeks, and every other time of the year, it's going to be cold and dark, right? That's going to basically, I kid a little bit, but that's basically a lot of the year that we have here. We know that those times of summer are going to be incredible, that they're going to be great, but that cold and dark season is what we tend to focus on a lot of times. It's what others tend to focus on when they talk about our region, and I think this is something that actually is in our DNA, It's something that we tend to do more often than not, that we focus in on the negative rather than the positive. And I don't think this is just about the weather, 
right? It's not just the weather that we view this way, but I think it's also how we tend to see the world as well. As Christians, we've often adopted a pessimistic view of our forecast of the world. And to be fair, we live in some interesting times. I'm not going to discount that or deny that. Sin abounds. Darkness covers the land. Deep darkness covers the people, right? Okay, you guys, wake up a little bit. I know. Dust the cobweb off. That's where you say amen. Okay, we'll try this again. Sin abounds. Darkness covers the land. Deep darkness covers the people, right? Okay, thank you guys for for getting. So we could spend the entire sermon today enumerating the list of all the sins that cover the land. We're not going to do that. No, you, come on, Peter, come on. We're not going to do that this morning. We're not going to go through the list. I don't want to give, help us give credence to our forecast of the world. I don't think that that is prudent or helpful to go through everything that's wrong in the world. Again, I'm not going to argue the fact that there's a lot that's wrong in our world. I'm not going to argue the fact that there's a lot of sin in our world. But I do submit that our approach to dealing with all of that is wrong. It's all wrong. The world is dark, but that's the point of the gospel. The world is dark, but that's the point of the gospel. Jesus has come as the light of the world to draw men and women out of darkness into his marvelous light. The world is dark, but that's the point of the gospel. Listen to me. I, I want you guys to hear this, and this, is, this will revolutionize your worldview. Darkness is a prerequisite for the gospel. Darkness is a prerequisite for the gospel. Sometimes I think that we forget, Christians, I'm talking to you right now, sometimes I think that we forget that we were once in darkness, that we were once asleep to the things of the Lord, that we once had not experienced the light of Jesus. Sometimes we forget that there was no good in us. That we had no righteousness on our own. That all of our good deeds were like filthy rags to the Lord. Sometimes we forget that. And the reason that I think it's important for us to remember that is because that's what the Lord Jesus has taken us out of. Sometimes we only focus on what he's, what he's done for us that we forget where we came from. We forget the darkness that we were once steeped in. We forget our sin and our shame and our bondage. Apart from the gospel, you and I would still be in darkness. We would still be in our sin. We would still be in the midst of that. But you and I, if you were in Christ, you saw the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. You surrendered to his call to be his disciple and you received justification He made you as if you had never sinned before. He made you right standing before God. He adopted you as his own. Even though you were unworthy, even though you didn't deserve it, he adopted you into his family. And he's moving you towards glorification where you're going to be with him forever. Like a new person completely. All your sin, all your past, all of that completely erased and standing before him in a glorified body for all eternity. This is what he has done for us through the gospel. You and I now sit as co-heirs with Christ, which is a crazy idea. 
That we have been so adopted that we sit as co-heirs with Christ. Our past erased. And I don't know about you, but that's the point where we sing hallelujah. Amen. Thank you. Thank thank you. You got the cue that time. He has done so much for us. Our past is erased. Our future is secure because of Jesus. Because of the light that shines in the midst of the darkness. I say this with love this morning, but sometimes it looks as though we Christians are more concerned with darkness than we are light. And we say this a different way. As Christians, I think we've become known for what we're against rather than what we're for. That the world knows us for all the things that we're against and rather what we're for. We look around And the forecast that we see is cold and dark. It's what we observe with our eyes. But friends, the sun is shining, and that's S-O-N. The sun is shining in the midst of the darkness. The same God who made us alive in him is still working in the world around us. He is still moving, and we are called to reflect his light. We are called to move among the darkness, move among the difficulty, move among the sin and say, look at how good our God is. Look at how good his grace is. Look at how good his mercy is. Today, friends, I have one simple call for us. Stop being like Eeyore. Oh no, everything is horrible. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. Stop being Eeyore, friends. Stop being like Eeyore. Jesus didn't go to the cross for us to live a life of defeat. He didn't go to the cross for us to say, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. He went to the cross to redeem us and to make us his ambassadors in a world in the midst of darkness. To go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, pointing people to the light of Jesus, showing them that there is hope, that there is newness, that there is restoration, that there is redemption. And so as we look at today's passage, we're going to see Jesus modeling for us how we are to think about and approach the world around us. And here's the bottom line of it all. It's all rooted in who Jesus is. It's all rooted in who Jesus is. So let's start reading uh, John 9, verses 1 through 3. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And I really hope that we can get a glimpse of what's happening here, because I think if we do, it can radically change us and the world around us. So Jesus and his disciples, they're walking along. They're going from town to town. They're ministering. Jesus is doing all these signs and wonders, and they come across a man who's blind. They're walking along. They see this man who is blind, and Jesus' disciples— They're a ragtag bunch of people, and they haven't quite understood what it looks like to follow Jesus well. And so they're standing right in front of this man, and they turn to Jesus and say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he has this condition? 
His disciples don't see this man who is sitting there as someone to be ministered to. They see him as someone to condemn. They say, whose who's sin made this happen? Was it his sin? Was it his parents' sin? But that's not what Jesus is here to do. Unlike the people last week that we talked about who wanted the grace, they wanted the filet of fish and not the truth, the disciples here do the opposite. They want the truth. They want to know what's going on, but they're not really thinking about grace. They're not thinking about what Jesus can do. They're not thinking about all the times they've seen him do the impossible, do the miraculous. They're not thinking about his mighty grace. They're just thinking about the sin that they see. And so Jesus sees this as an opportunity to do some teaching and to give out his grace. And so he corrects the disciples. He ministers to the man who's right there in front of him. The disciples, again, are focused on the sin, but Jesus is focused on the man's transformation. He's focused on something different. And Jesus says this, and this is what I want us to get more than anything. Jesus tells the disciples that the man's condition is so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So that the works of of God might be displayed in him. In other words, Jesus is telling his disciples, stop talking about the problem. Stop talking about the problem and recognize that God can do a mighty work in this man. That God can do a miraculous work in this man. See, if you and I only ever focus on what's wrong, we miss the point. We miss the entire point of the gospel. We miss the entire point of salvation and justification and redemption and reconciliation. We miss the whole thing. Yes, there is sin. Yes, there is brokenness. Yes, there is darkness in the world around us. But friends, we serve the God of the impossible. Last time I checked, our God is a chain-breaking. He is a demon-slaying. He is a miracle-working. He is a dead-raising God. Is that not who our God is? There's nothing, nothing, not a thing, not a single thing that is impossible for our God. And so it's silly for us. Think about how silly it is for us to say, look at how bad our world is. Instead, we should be saying, look at how good our God is. Look at how great our God is. Look at how powerful our God is. Can he change this? Think about Ezekiel 37. God is talking to Ezekiel and he brings him out into this big valley. And it's full of dry bones. And God asks Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, no, it looks pretty bad. They're pretty dead. It's not what Ezekiel says. He says, oh Lord God, you know. And the Lord says to Ezekiel, prophesy to the bones, prophesy, son of man, that these bones should live. And Ezekiel says back to God, God, I I don't know about that. Now what happens? Ezekiel prophesies, and, and he prophesies, and he prophesies, and he says to the bones, a symbol, and he says to the bones, have the breath of life in them. And then he looks and beholds an exceedingly great army. It looked dark. It looked impossible. God had taken Ezekiel to a valley of dry bones, put him there, and yet it wasn't impossible. 
Because nothing is impossible for our God. If God did it then, he can do it now. If God can redeem the people throughout Scripture, which, here's a note for you, they weren't that great. If God can redeem them, he can redeem you. If he can redeem you, he can redeem the world out there. Brokenness and darkness and sin are simply opportunities for God to work among us now. They're opportunities for God to pour out his radical grace. We have to stop focusing on the problems. We have to step away from the political punditry. We have to step away from the social media condemnation. We have to step away from the general outrage over the state of the world. And instead, in its place, we must focus on Jesus. Focus on the light of the world. Let's read on in verses 4 and 5. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus shares some profound truth here, and we need to understand it. And so let me try and illustrate it for us, okay? I want you all to close your eyes. Close your eyes. It seems dark, right? That's where you guys can, you know, say back to me. Close your eyes. Does it seem dark? Okay. Now keep your eyes closed, and now I want you to put your hands over your eyes. What happened? It got darker. You can open your eyes now. Oftentimes, we look out and we see the darkness. It's like us closing our eyes and all we can see is darkness. But then once we experience true darkness, we put our hands over our eyes, we see that there was still light shining. There was still light shining, but we didn't see it. We failed to see it. All we could focus on was the darkness, but there was still light there. In the same way, it may look dark now, but Jesus, who is the light of the world, is still shining. He's still moving among us. He's still having his way among us. Now, there will be a time when Jesus comes back and there will no longer be an opportunity for those who are in darkness to see his light. But it's not here yet. It's not here Yeah, there is still light happening. He is still moving. He is still working. Friends, there is still hope for the nations. There is still hope for the North Country. There is still hope for your lost loved ones. There is still hope for the prodigals. There is still hope. I want to turn to John 1. Just flip back a few chapters. And I want to read verses 1 through 5. That's how John starts his gospel, and we've, we've talked about it together before. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the light of all mankind. And guess what? Guess what, friends? Here's the good news. His light cannot be overcome by darkness. Let me say it again because it's worth reiterating. It was because of darkness that God came into the world. 
It was because of darkness that Jesus took on flesh, that he became incarnate. It was because of the darkness, because of the sin, because of our rebellion, that he came near to us. He saw all the times that we had gotten it wrong, all the times that we had lived for ourselves. He saw that we delighted in darkness, that we lived in rebellion against him, and he still came near to us, still came near to us. The story of the gospel is about God redeeming us despite our sin, despite our rebellion, despite all the times that we've made life about other things than him. We were God's enemies, is what Scripture tells us. We were his enemies, and yet while we were still in the midst of our sin, in the midst of it, still doing it, Jesus came and died for us so that we can be redeemed. Christian, you were once in just as much darkness as the world, and yet Jesus made you new. He shared his grace for you, his love for you, his mercy for you. You were once as they were, and yet God poured out his grace on you. Don't forget that. Don't forget your former way of life. I want you to consider what Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 17. I love Paul because he just, he just gives it to us straight up. He says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world not to save the righteous, not to save those who have their stuff together, not to save those who grew up in the church, but to save sinners, to save those who are his enemies, to save those who live however they want to, not in accordance to the way of God. And what Paul does in this little section is he tells us that he's the worst of sinners. The worst of sinners. He persecuted the church, condemned the church, murdered the church, murdered those who had followed after Jesus. And Paul says, I'm the worst of sinners, and that if I can receive mercy— if I can receive grace, if I can receive redemption and reconciliation and adoption and all the benefits of the gospel, if I can receive Jesus, if Jesus can look at me as though I've never sinned, everyone else can. Everyone else can. There's no one who is too far gone to receive the salvation that Jesus offers. And when you and I when we forget what God has done for us, the result is that we become curmudgeonly. We become curmudgeonly to the world around us, to those who have yet to see the light of Jesus. But this shouldn't be the case. We should be heralds. 
Those who proclaim the good news of a God who changes lives. And our lives should be exhibit A in that. Think if God did it for me, look at my sin. Look at my shame. Look at all the things that I did. You, you want to talk about being messed up? Look at us. Look at what we did in our BC days. Our lives should be exhibit A of the goodness and mercy and grace of God. And I think this is what Jesus tries to teach us in John 9, 4. He tells us that while it's day, we must do the works of God. That while we're still alive, while he hasn't come back yet, we are to do the works of God. And friends, it's still day. There's still hope. There's still time. And we should work as though there will be another great awakening. As though there will be another great revival. We should live as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what the results are going to be. But we can be faithful anyway. We don't have to have it all figured out. We don't have to know exactly what's coming. We don't know if the Lord's going to come back in 10 years or if he's going to wait 10,000 years. We don't know. And so we have to stop living. We have to to start living. Start living as people of the light. People of Jesus. We have to do gospel work. We have to share the good news of Jesus. And we have to realize that when we do gospel work, when we proclaim the good news of a God who forgives sin, we're partnering with God. He's already at work. He's already shining. He's already moving. The Spirit is already moving over the earth as he has been since creation, convicting the lost, moving in their hearts, awakening them to the gospel. God's Spirit is alive and active today, so it's not all dependent upon us, but it does require our participation. He saved us into his mission. He saved us into his work. He saved us for going out into all the world. He gave us a commission to go make disciples. But it doesn't always look how we want it to look. Let's move on to verses 6 and 7 in John 9. After saying this, He spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told them, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. So I want to ask you guys a question. How many planners do I have in the room? A few of you guys like like to plan? Okay. God has wired me as a planner. Uh, I love thinking about the big picture, what it will take to get there. Uh, But things never quite happen the way I expect them to. It's never like this straight line from A to B. Anyone relate to that? Okay. It's the same way with God. If I'm planning on how God is going to change someone's life, it's not going to involve me spitting in the mud, spitting in the dirt, making some mud, and putting on the man's eyes. That's not how I'm planning this to happen. I'd also plan on the instant transformation of the man. But God tells him to go take a bath first. Like, this isn't how I would plan it to be. And that's kind of the point. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His plan is different than our plan. Our job is to be faithful, to follow Jesus and allow God to have his way. And it's not always going to look the way we want it to. Sometimes it will. Sometimes it'll work out how we plan it to be. But more often than not, it's not going to. 
More often than not, that straight line is going to look more like, like this and, you know, one of those things. It's not going to look how we planned it to look. God is going to do things differently than we would, and we have to be okay with that. We just have to keep our eyes on him. He is God. We are not, right? And that should make us rejoice. Praise God that we are not God. I am so thankful that I am not God and that he is. All right, let's read our last few verses here. Verses 8 through 11. His neighbors, the mans, and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they call Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. The blind man does what Jesus tells him to do. He gets healed, and now everyone is amazed. They're all amazed at what's happened, but some people, they're doubting. They're doubting if this was even really the same man. It's a transformation beyond anything they could expect. It's a transformation that shocks them. Like like God healed a fully grown man who had never seen before, and now he can see. And he did it by rubbing some, some spit into the dirt, putting mud on the guy's eyes, and telling him to go take a bath. Like, it is a miraculous thing that they're seeing, and these people are trying to get to the bottom of it. They asked the man, how were your eyes opened? And the man simply responds, the one they call Jesus did it. The one they call Jesus did it. I was blind, but now I see it was nothing I did, but all that Jesus did. God did the impossible. He worked a miracle. He makes a way where there is no way. He steps into darkness and shows his light. As Isaiah 60 verse 2 says, See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness covers the people. But... But the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Yes, it's dark. Yes, there is darkness. But the glory of the Lord shines brighter than that. God is good. He is still turning lives around. He is still moving. He is still having his way. And our job is to merely reflect the light of Jesus to experience his mercy and grace for ourselves and then tell the world about it. That's what the man does here. He's been transformed and now he's telling others about it. But not everyone is going to respond well. Not everyone is going to respond to our invitation to follow Jesus. Not everyone is going to say yes. And it's not our job to worry about the results. It's to leave it in God's hand. It's not our job to worry about if they say yes or no. We must simply keep our eyes on Jesus and keep telling the story. Keep telling the story of the God who forgives, the God who transforms, the God who makes all things new. Jesus says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever, whoever follows me, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
The sun is shining, friends. Don't focus on the clouds. Don't focus on the things that try to obscure the view. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Allow his love to transform you. Remember who you were. Remember that you were once in darkness. Remember that Jesus only saves those who are in darkness. It's a prerequisite for the gospel. So it's not too late, too late for the world around us. It's not too dark. They're not too steeped in sin. There's still hope. And so let's stop acting like there isn't hope. Let's stop acting like Jesus can't move among us. He came, what? What did Jesus came to do? To seek and save the lost, those who are in darkness. And so let's focus on his miracle of grace. Focus on his miracle of mercy and forgiveness. I have two calls ultimately for us this morning in light of this scripture. First, if you're a Christian, you're here, and you can only seem to focus on what's going wrong, on the bad, the darkness, I have one simple invitation to you. Surrender. Surrender. Allow God to move. Nothing will ever change by you worrying about it. The only way things change is if you recognize that God is still moving, he is still active, that he is still shining his light in the midst of darkness, that he is still working miracles, that he is still making the dead come back to life. He is still working. So surrender, Christian. If all you can focus in on is the darkness of how bad our world is getting, know that before every revival— Before every awakening throughout church history, it's been dark. Right before God moves mightily, it's been dark. And yet there's always people who say it's too dark. It's too dark. Nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to change. There are those people, but then there's the select few who say, no, not me. I believe in the God of the impossible. I believe in the God who raises the dead. I believe in the God who sacrificed himself for me. I believe in the God who was dead, but then was brought back to life. I believe in the God who poured out his Holy Spirit. I believe in the God that transformed the Roman world. I believe in the God who time after time after time after time after time worked miracles and wonders when everyone else said he couldn't. Believe in him, Christian. Surrender to him, Christian. Second call that I have this morning is for any of you that may not be Christians. Maybe you are sitting here and you're like, I, 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 I see Jesus and I love Jesus, but I see the church and well, I don't necessarily love the church. Friends, the church is imperfect. That's not an excuse. We have to do better. So what this sermon is, it's a call to do better for the church. But don't judge Jesus based off of his church. Judge Jesus based off of Jesus. He is that good. He is that wonderful. He is that gracious. And friends, there's nothing that you've done, no sin that you've committed, 
No thing that is too bad for God to forgive. Paul says, I am the worst among sinners. And if God can forgive me, he can forgive you. The whole story of Scripture is about God redeeming imperfect people. About God turning the worst into those who look like him. He can do that in your life. He went to the cross for you. He died for you. He gave his life for you. He loves you. And so my call to you this morning is to try him. Allow him to move in your life. Surrender to him. Come to him and say, God, I, I, I want to believe in you. I, I lay myself down. Come move in my life. I've sinned and I know that, but I surrender this morning. And I ask for you to pour out your forgiveness over me. I believe that that's what Jesus did for me on the cross. I believe that you are Lord, that you are God. I trust in you. Try that today. He's still moving, friends. Still calling, still seeking and saving the lost. Trust him. Surrender to him. He is the light of the world. He is the light. And darkness, darkness cannot overcome his light. Will you stand with me as we pray this morning? Father, we, and we recognize that, that there's darkness. We recognize that there's sin. We recognize that this world isn't perfect. God, we also recognize that that's why the gospel is so good. It's why your love is so wonderful. Because while we were in the midst of our sin, while we were living in rebellion against you, while we walked in darkness, you shined your light among us. That you are the light of all mankind. You shine in the midst of darkness. God, help us to focus in on you. Now we repent for, for making things about everything else. For just focusing in on what's wrong. Help us to reflect your light, oh God. Help us to be gospel people. Help our lives to be exhibit A of your mercy and your grace and your love and your transformation. Help us to surrender everything to you, oh God. Help us to live as though you are a God who is still working, a God who is still moving, a God who is still transforming hearts, a God who is still making the worst sinners into sons and daughters of God. Now, for any of us in the room that, that don't know you yet, Lord, just come move in our hearts and bring conviction. Make our sin come before us. And help us to see what you've done for us on the cross. The perfect dying for the imperfect. 
the just for the unjust. Help us to see that you took our place, took our sin, took our shame, took the punishment we deserve. And you did that so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be made new. Help us to surrender to you, O God. Or we love you, we praise you. It's in Christ's name. Amen.